almost every denomination in North America has reported a decline in attendance. And, and people have their opinions, but researchers have run the numbers. And you know what they discovered is the number one cause for the decline of ch in church attendance across the board in the North American church? Committed Christians attending church less frequently. Is that surprising to anyone? We look at the numbers and think, boy, there's been a 25% drop-off in Christianity. No, it's mostly been Christians who've said, I think I can love God more even though I love God's people less. I think I can make less time for the family of God and still be operating on eight cylinders uh, with my relationship with God. And the Bible disagrees. Many people take part of the Christian life and run with it. We get what we've got and we assume that must be it and we do what we can. And yet when we do that, there's often struggles. Uh, we say that the Christian life is a three-legged stool. And if you are missing one of those legs, uh, you are going to find yourself falling, find yourself uh, struggling to uh, to, to really make progress in the life that Jesus has called us to live. Uh, this series looks at those three legs of the Christian life as illustrated in Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. Uh, this morning, we're focusing on the second leg. leg. We looked at believe last time. This time, we're looking at connect. Uh, and uh, we're saying that it's not the Christian life if you don't connect. And particularly, there are different ways that uh, different means by which God has given us to, to grow in the Christian life. And we're focusing this morning on connecting uh, in the whole area of fellowship. Now, I read this week about two guys who worked for a furniture delivery store. And I don't know if there's anyone in your workplace where people say you kind of talk the same or you have kind of some similar habit and, and they connect the two of you in some way. Well, that was the case with uh, two guys in this furniture delivery company named Randy and Gary. People said they looked alike, but they didn't think very much of it. But uh, Randy happened to be adopted, and a new law allowed him to finally see his birth certificate. And with that, he was able to do a little bit of research. He did some digging. And as he did, he learned uh, a little bit more uh, about his background uh, learned that his biological parents had died, they had another son, and uh, he was able to find that uh, what would be his brother's date of birth. Well, as they were out on one of these deliveries and uh, lifting sofas and tables, and uh, another customer said to them, well, you two really seem to look alike, um, Randy found a way to just start asking some, some questions, uh, wanted to do it in a way that wouldn't freak the guy out, but he, he you know, started asking a little bit about, about of his background. They found out that they, were, they grew up in neighboring towns, found out that they went to rival high schools, but it wasn't until he asked him, by, by the way, when's your date of birth? And it was then that he knew they were brothers. They had been working side by side, day by day, in the same company, doing the same job, and they didn't know 
that they were related. Well, they were both taken aback and floored by the news, obviously. Uh, a co-worker said, there's nothing like family, especially when you don't have one. Now they've got it. Now, as I heard that story, I thought, I think many of us come to church week by week, sitting next to people. Well, if you're sitting next to your family, if you look down the row or behind you or in front of you, you're sitting next to, around, in front of, and behind people that are, uh, if you're a believer in Christ, they are your spiritual family. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet even though we have family sitting next to us and around us, often, like Randy and Gary, we are unaware of it. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't see each other as family. We don't relate to each other as family. Sometimes we, we miss the family that God has given us and that he has provided for uh, our blessings. This morning, I want to try and help you see your spiritual family. See the family that God has given you. See why it is so vitally important for you. And uh, to do that, uh, as we've been doing, we're, we're going to the, uh, the, the story of the Apostle Paul, uh, who would become the Apostle Paul. We're, here he's still just Saul uh, in Acts chapter 9 and examining his conversion. Uh, last time we saw Saul blinded on the Damascus road, right? We saw him uh, amazingly uh, impacted and uh, encountering Jesus Christ. Let's read the part we skipped, uh, verses 10 to 19, and uh, in the Black Church Bibles in the rack under the seat in front of you, it's on page 863. So Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 19. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of God. Now there are several important principles for us here, but the, the first is this, that by connecting you learn how to see that none of us were born with eyes in the back of our head. And so God gives us spiritual brothers and sisters as kind of like backup cameras for us. Uh, people that help us to see our blind spots, people that can help us to grow, uh, to, to do things that we couldn't do on our own, to see things that we can't see on our own. It's by connecting that you learn how to see. Now, 
we've, we saw last time, Jesus has blinded Saul. His companions now have to lead him by the hand. He was leading the charge. Now he is uh, following as they guide him and uh, direct him to the place where Jesus has told him to go. And we've said that as he was going there, blinded as he was, it, it just so overwhelmed with the realization that this person that he thought was a fraud turns out to be the resurrected Savior. It's Jesus, the Messiah. And, and in that realization, he's having to rethink everything that he was so confident about. As he is uh, coming to terms with that, who would you think, if you have someone this important, someone who is going to have this influential a part to play in uh, the writing of much of the New Testament, the, the founding of many churches, the one who will lead the charge in the mission to the Gentiles, who would you, who would you bring along to orient someone like that to the Christian faith? Probably be Peter, right? At least John, certainly an apostle, someone who was who, someone of stature, someone of fame, of, of, uh, with a proven track where you'd want someone that was well-known, famous, powerful. And yet, surprisingly, he chooses Ananias. Anybody know anything about Ananias? Nobody does. Uh, we, we know very little about him other than uh, Jesus calls him. He says, I'll go. Likely a faithful, ordinary Christian who God cho chose to accomplish a task. And, and it's a reminder to us, and we see this again and again in Scripture, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Now, in verse 11, Jesus tells Ananias to go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. In the next verse, we're... Uh, he's told that Saul has already had a vision, to, so he knows to expect him. He's been told, Ananias is going to come, lay hands on you, you're going to be able to see. But I think we have to pause and ask, why is anything, any of this taking place right now? If, if Jesus can blind a person, uh, and he has his purposes for doing that, Surely he can unblind a person directly without any extra help, right? He didn't need Ananias to come in to, to take away Saul's sight. So presumably he doesn't need Ananias to come, come back in and give him his sight. So I think we need to ask the question, what's that all about? Why, why bring in Ananias in the first place? Well, Saul's is probably the most famous conversion story in the New Testament. It's repeated three times, here in Acts 9, again in Acts 22, then in Acts 26. And given the place that he was going to have in the church, the kind of prominence that he was going to have, it was inevitable that Saul's story would be told again and again. Oh, how, did, how did the apostle Paul become a Christian? Like, that, that's something that you couldn't help but want to know, want to share, want to hear about. 
And so I believe that in the conversion of Saul, God bakes in some of the foundations of what it is to to walk the Christian life so that when that story was heard and repeated again and again, it would be heard by all of the, all disciples of Jesus Christ and they would get a message about uh, something foundational about what it means to follow Jesus. And that message here with Ananias is that it's only by connecting that you learn how to see. You need other people to help you see your blind spots. You can become a Christian on your own. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. There are just too many things stacked against us. We need others in the body of Christ, in the family of God to help us in that journey. Probably many of you have heard of the marshmallow test, right? Anybody heard of that, that experiment? It's pretty, pretty famous, well-known, right? So the, the marshmallow test is you, you take a, a marshmallow with some, I think they had four or five-year-old kids, okay? They put them alone in a room, put a marshmallow in front of them, and they said, you can eat the marshmallow, but if you wait till I come back, it was about 15 minutes before the researcher came back, they'd give them two marshmallows. And most kids think, wow, two marshmallows is better than one. I can do that. I can, I can pull that off. And despite all of their attempts, most kids didn't end up lasting the 15 minutes. They tried, you know, and they end up eating the marshmallow. Well, although the marshmallow test is pretty, oh, and it's worth noting that children who weren't able to wait 15 minutes to get a second marshmallow, those uh, they, they ended up correlating with negative behaviors later in life. If at four or five years old, you haven't or aren't developing the self-control to hold off for 15 minutes, it has an impact on your grades later in life, the kind of jobs, the people that you relate to, all that stuff it ends up being impacted. Anyway, that's a famous, famous uh, experiment. The cookie, the cookie test is less familiar with most people. Anybody heard of the cookie test? So it's basically the same experiment. They take the the marshmallow, replace it with a cookie, but they add a twist. This time, they pair up uh, the the kids. So they they pair up two children. They have them get to know each other. Okay, you're going to be in this together. And here's the deal. You're going to be put in separate rooms. We're going to give you both a cookie. You can eat it if you want. But if both of you are able to wait until the researchers return, 15 minutes, you both get two cookies. So here, it's actually a harder test, right? Because two people have to have have the self-control to wait for the person to return. But what they found was those two kids, even though it was a harder experiment, and I don't think it was because of the, the cookies versus the marshmallows, two kids, knowing that the other person was counting on them, knowing that they weren't alone in the temptation and the, the test that they were going through, those two kids were more likely to hold out, to hold on, and to not eat the cookie than the one kid who in the other exper- experiment was waiting for the, for the marshmallow. And, and the message is, even if here's the experiment. They weren't even in the same room. It wasn't like they were saying, hey, you can do it, Bobby. Or, okay, Susie. You know, it, it wasn't that at all. They were in different rooms. They couldn't even see each other. And yet the connection mattered. And guess what? The connection in the Christian life matters. 
how you stand up when temptation comes, when, when challenges hit, when you are going through difficulties, how you are connected before that trial makes a difference between how you will weather that trial. And this is a message that gets repeated in many ways throughout the New Testament. Um, one of the ways it gets reinforced is in Acts chapter 8 with a man named Apollos. Apollos was a rising star, intelligent, well-trained in the scriptures. He was a great speaker. People loved to listen to him. But he got a little bit of the message wrong. And, and even intelligent rising stars in the church need other believers to help them. So in verse uh, 26, Acts 18, 26, it says, Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Even someone as gifted as him, even someone as capable of him, needed another believer to speak into his life, needed someone to uh, help him to see his blind spots. And, and the problem is that often we don't connect enough for that kind of thing to happen in our lives. Because the reality is, if we don't let people know what we believe, then there isn't any opportunity for, for our wrong thinking to get corrected. If we don't get close enough to someone, uh, get close enough to other believers in uh, the, the spiritual family that God has given us, then the, the, the immaturities in our life don't get dealt with. The inconsistencies in our thinking don't get addressed. The holes in our theology uh, continue and we suffer for it. And even if we do get close enough physically, because, you know, we got to sit beside each other in, in, in church often, we can put up barriers that say, I'm not really looking for unsolicited advice. Thank you very much. I, I'm not really looking to get too close to you. And uh, I'll, I'll say hello to you, but that's kind of as far as I want to go. And as a result, we limp along in the Christian life and we miss out on what God is seeking to do in our lives. We miss the spiritual family that he's provided for us. The reality is, Ananias could be sitting beside you this morning. They could be God's means for your healing, for you to see more clearly. And yet, if you never talk to them, you will never receive from them. Your uh, Priscilla and Aquila could be waiting for you in a life group, but if you never join one, they, they will never have an opportunity to speak into your life. They won't have the opportunity to, to, to get to know you well enough that they would feel comfortable to share. And likewise, you to them. And so you realize so many of these blessings hinge on us connecting with one another. Now, I believe that what happens with Saul here is not just some, oh, that's, that's interesting, that's, that's a curi curious how things worked out with Ananias and God, you know, oh, that's, that's interesting. No, I think it's a pattern, I think it's deliberate. I think God is putting a paradigm for us here. And, and I believe uh, it's a message that everyone needs and, and, and it's telling us that we probably all need a couple of conversions. First, we, needed, we need to be converted to Jesus. Second, we need to be converted to Jesus' people. First, we need to put our trust in Jesus. Second, we need to learn to trust the church. 
Not in the same way, not on the same level, not in a weird way. I, I, we, we, we know what we're talking about. It's not that. But we also know that we can be all about Jesus and be like this to other people that God has given us in the spiritual family. And we suffer as a result. We miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. And so is it possible that you're only half in? That, that you're only excited about one of these conversions and that there's something more that God wants to do in your life? So Saul needed to learn that it's by connecting you learn how to see. But as this encounter was taking place, it was actually learning going on on both sides because this was like a big major deal for Ananias as well, right? Ananias needed to, to, to learn that it's by connecting that you learn how to love. Without getting close to one another, we remain infants in the golden rule. We, we never make progress in what Jesus says is like number two in, in our ordering of uh, commandments and priorities to God. It's by connecting that you learn how to love. Put yourself in Ananias' shoes and ask yourself, what are you thinking as Jesus says to you, I want you to go and pray for this guy named Saul. I, I know he was the one who was there when they, they murdered Stephen. I, I know that he's uh, been sent to hunt down Christians, throw them in prison. He's threatened to murder them. I, I know all of that's true, but I want you to go and pray for him. What are you thinking? Like, this just seems like a really bad idea, right? All of the fears, all of the apprehension, all of that stuff is going through your mind. Ananias is clearly not thrilled with the idea. In verse 13, he says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And the author, Phyllis James, may have been thinking of Ananias when she wrote this, perfect love may cast out fear, but fear is remarkably potent in casting out love. You know this. We believe in loving our neighbors. We believe in loving uh, the, the, the spiritual family that God has given us, but we all have fears, right? Fear keeps us from engaging. Uh, fear keeps us from, uh, from, from reaching out, from initiating conversations, from getting too close, going too deep. Fear gets in the way. Ananias will have to learn that if he's going to follow a God who loves his enemies, he's got to learn to love his enemies too. He's got to learn to overcome whatever is going on in his heart as he heard, boy, there's a killer here that Jesus wants me to pray for. That makes no sense whatsoever. And I'm scared to death. But Jesus said so, so I'm going to go and try and do it anyway. That's, that's kind of the Christian life, right? In this whole area, we all have fears. We all have insecurities. And Jesus says, I know you've got that. I need you to do this anyway. This is how you grow in love. This is how you get in on what I seek to accomplish in your lives through this thing called fellowship. Maybe in your case, Jesus hasn't asked you to go ahead and go and visit and pray for someone who arrests Christians. That, that's, that's, for most of us, that's not the task, right? 
But maybe for you, the fear is turning and saying hello to someone beside you in, in your seat this morning. Maybe your anxiety is going up to someone in the connection room that's, and, say, and, and introduce yourself over coffee. Maybe your anxiety is just, you know, you, you've, gotten to know, you've gotten to know your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you haven't really let them know anything about you. You haven't really let them in because you're afraid to. We, we feel insecurity of, uh, what, what do they say? What do they think? What'll, what'll, how will that go? Maybe it'll be weird and awkward. All of those things go through our minds, right? Each step we connect in fellowship involves overcoming a fear, but it's what we're called to do. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, I'm not sure I even want to do this. Like, I know some Christians, and I don't like them very much. They've got got problems. I kind of, they turn me off. I'm not sure how how much I want to to love other Christians. I kind of maybe just stick to my family and a few friends. That that feels better. And, And we're saying, surely Ananias was dealing with some of that, like at a different level, right? This guy's mur- murders other Christians. They prob- he probably knew, knew Stephen, or at least had heard of him. Watch how Jesus teaches Ananias to deal with difficult Christians. Verse 15, Jesus says to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. What Jesus is doing in that one statement is teaching Ananias to see Saul through who he will become, not through who he is. Don't relate to him as the murderer. Don't see him through the lens of his past. I want you to see him through what he will become when I work through his life and by the time I get done with him. And that's Frankly, a principle all of us can apply. It's a secret to showing grace to difficult people. Don't love them for who they are. Certainly don't love them for their past. Love them for who God is shaping them to be. Love them for uh, who, who they are capable of. When you relate to another Christian, you are relating to someone who is being shaped by God, turned into a saint. Yes, they are imperfect. Yes, they have a past. Yes, there are sins that they are working on. But guess what? So are you. We, we see people through the lens of who they can become uh, through the transforming work of Christ. Uh, C.S. Lewis got this right. He once said, it is a serious thing to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, you have, which if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. He's saying that, that even just, just ordinary, mediocre Christians, once Jesus has gotten through them and transformed them, they will be holy and glorified. Yeah, you would be tempted to worship them. See them in light of who they are becoming and use that as a grace to help you to love them. The church is where Jesus teaches us to do that. Church is where Jesus teaches us how to love people, 
how to grow in the second commandment. The church is where Jesus teaches us to overcome our fears, helps us to deal with our selfishness, helps us to take those steps of uh, learning to, to connect with one another. But if you say, I'm all about Jesus and I'm all into the word, but I don't think I need the people so much, you miss out on this like super important dimension of what Jesus is trying to do in your life. If you don't get close to people in fellowship, there is an entire area of the Christian life that you miss out on. So we said that it's by connecting that you learn how to see, by connecting that you learn how to love, and finally, it's by connecting that we receive God's protection. Life is a spiritual battle, and we have not been created with the resources to deal with it on our own. We need other people. God has provided them uh, to us, and the message is it's by connecting that you receive that protection that God has provided. Now, we'll see this more next week, but it's no surprise Saul went on to have a remarkable ministry. But as he does that, as he goes, as you hear about his exploits, you just think, this person seems like so strong and rugged. Like people, they beat him, right, with, with whips and, and they, they stone him and they imprison him and he just seems like invincible. Like he, he seems so, uh, to have it everything, both intellectually and spiritually and physically, it just seems like you cannot stop this person. And yet, even Saul needed the family of God. Without the family of God, Saul, as rugged and strong and as powerful and independent as he seems, he would be dead, literally, almost before his ministry began. In verses 20 to 22, it describes how Saul uh, preached in the synagogue and proved that Jesus was the Messiah. Many responded, but it wasn't long before opposition gathered. Hear what happened starting in verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night, led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Where would Saul be without some quick-thinking disciples with an extra basket on hand, right? Where, where, would he, where would the New Testament have been without some disciples that Saul connected with that said, hey, we know someone who's got a, 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 a room in the wall. We can get you out of here. Dead. Like, the, the life, he is, his ministry doesn't continue. And, and it, the message for us is that we need one another for the battle. Time and time again, it's a church that rescues Saul when it looks like all is lost. And while you and I might not be getting mobbed by a crowd or having people picking up stones to stone us or or waiting out at the corner at Weldrick with, you know, with, with guns and, and ways to try, to try to stop us. We are all in a spiritual battle. And we have not been created with the resources to face it alone. God has given us a family, and it is in that family that we were intended 
uh, to uh, find our strength. And when we step, uh, step uh, apart from that family, when we try to live in separated from that family, we, we incur the losses. We limp along when we could be sprinting. So how does this connect leg of the stool in your life? Anyone, as you examine your heart, say, I think I'm trying to love God without the people. Any, anyone uh, finding yourself uh, trying to just get by with as little of this fellowship thing as you can. You know what the simplest way to do this today? Uh, online sermons, right? This is the genius way. I can have all of God and none of God's people. You may have heard statistics like this. Maybe you've heard newspaper headlines. They've, people have talked and they've said, well, the, the, the church is in decline. Uh, over the, over the last, last number of years, almost every denomination in North America has reported a decline in attendance. And they've tried to analyze what it could be as the influence of secularism, people deconstructing their faith, uh, the, the, the influence of social media and all of these different things. And, and people have their opinions, but researchers have run the numbers. And you know what they discovered is the number one cause for the decline of ch in church attendance across the board in the North American church? Committed Christians attending church less frequently. Is that surprising to anyone? People that used to, like without even thinking of it, attend, attend church four times a month, now they go three times a month. People who are kind of attending church three times a month, now they go twice a month. And the people that attended church twice a month, now they go once a month. And we look at the numbers and think, boy, there's been a 25% drop-off in Christianity. No, it's mostly been Christians who've said, I think I can love God more even though I love God's people less. I think I can make less time for the family of God and still be operating on eight cylinders uh, with my relationship with God. And the Bible disagrees. The scripture say, says, no, that formula actually doesn't work. And, and, and I, I baked that into Saul's conversion to get that message out. I repeated it throughout the epistles. I try and get this message, uh, you know, through the scriptures, God saying, and people, people want to avoid it. They look for a more efficient way to relate to God. And there isn't an efficient way. Relationships take time. Uh, fellowship, it, it, it's either prioritized or it takes a backseat. In Acts 2.42, it reminds us that the early church devoted themselves to, among other, th other things, the fellowship. But fellowship never just meant sitting in a pew. We have to engage with one another. At Grace, we do that in life groups. It's where we come together, we get out of rows, into circles, and we learn to relate to one another. We get closer to God and we get closer to each other. That's the Christian life. And, and some of you want your kids to, to go, get closer to God. Some of you want your kids to, to grow in their relationship with Jesus. One of the 
foundational ways that you do that, you help them to see the priority of the family of God. You open their eyes to the spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. Teach them to prioritize fellowship when a thousand and one things are competing for their attention. That's how you help them grow closer to Jesus. It's not the only way, but it's critical. Help them realize that, that, that they're not alone. Help them realize they've got family. And you know that we formalize the commitments that really, the relationships that really matter to us, right? You know that there is a difference between two people who share the same bed and two people who have said, I do. It's different. You know that there's a difference between a group of people who show up for drop-in hockey and a group of people who have committed to a team. Those are two, they look like they're doing the same things, but they're different. And we know that they're different. And it's the same with the, with, with the church. There is a difference between attending a church and being a member of a church. Membership matters. That commitment to say, I, I can be counted on. I, I, this is me. I, I am committed to this family. It makes a difference in the relationship because we formalize the, the, the relationships that matter to us. And, and, and maybe your response to all of this is, Paul, I get all of this, and I think I even believe all this, but it's hard. And I would say, I agree with you. We live in a culture that makes almost everything that we've talked about this morning very difficult. I don't think it's as difficult as what Ananias had to deal with, but it's difficult. Let's just say that. It's hard. And so as we close what is dealing with what is perhaps a difficult passage, something that we culturally, personally, emotionally struggle with, I want you to Hear Jesus pray for us. His words are recorded in John 17. And I I want you to picture Jesus praying this over us uh, as we reflect on this message. Jesus' words, John 17, verse 21. I ask that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus wants us to be as close to one another, as unified with one another, as he is with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He wants that kind of closeness to our unity. And and he wants that because it is as we get close to one another that we enter into the, the, the oneness and the closeness that we were created to enjoy with God. And when that happens, the world looks at our fellowship and says, that's a Jesus thing. God is at work in them. There is something supernatural happening because that kind of thing just doesn't happen between people. And that's what we have been invited to. That's what we've been called to. This is the church. This is the spiritual family that God has given you. 
So look around, not right now, but look around. You have spiritual brothers and sisters here. You have family here. You are not alone. God has provided for you the means to to walk through the Christian life when Satan is throwing everything in his arsenal against you. But you only get in on it as you connect to it. And so take those steps to connect in fellowship. Take those steps to draw near to him, to draw near to others, and to overcome those challenges that would otherwise keep you from it. Let's look to the Lord now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, bring us together. Open our eyes to the spiritual brothers and sisters you've given us. Help us to see that we can't grow closer to you without getting closer to one another. Give us the strength to overcome our fears and our selfishness. Give us the courage to commit and answer Jesus' prayer for us. Make us one. Unite us together in Christ and show the world that Jesus is alive in our fellowship. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.